0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus, and 11 a.m. at the Mux Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God blesses you through doing so. so. There is a process. When you give your life to the Lord, there's some process going on. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that process is this morning, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And it says this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become, I like this word, mature. Everybody say mature. Mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What a powerful scripture that we have right there in Ephesians. I want you to be seated because in just a moment I'm going to pray. But I want to just talk to you for just a second this morning. I don't know if you know this, but Faith Assembly has been an equipping church for many years. How many believe that? Through all that the programs that it has, the events, all those things that it incorporates... Faith Assembly has been an equipping church. And many of you know that we've had Faith Christian School over here as an equipping entity that equips what? Children, youth, whatever it may be, from K4 to to 12th grade and having a school. And it's been incredible. What it does is it projects a a biblical worldview. And maybe even some of you here this morning uh, attended that school or maybe teach at that school. But it is a great thing for 25 years. And give God a big hand for that. That's incredible, right? 25 years. I'm excited. You know what? I love announcements. How many ever gets those baby announcements in the mail? And and then like mom and dad, they're so excited about giving an announcement. And I have just an incredible announcement for Faith Assembly of God this this year. Even this morning. That what we're going to be doing this year is planting right here on our campus, Accelerate Ministry, listen to this, college. That we're bringing a college right here to Faith Assembly of God. For ministry to equip ministers. For the work of ministry. I mean, this year we've had all those campuses planted and there's many people who need, uh, you know, we just need a lot of work with uh, filling, what, children's positions and, and youth and all those things, just being involved in Bible. But I'm excited that we get to do that here, to, here today and announce that. And I want you to, to watch a little video that we have. It's from the School of Urban Missions. That's what it's from. That's what we're going to be a part of is the School of Urban Missions. So I want you to take a look at the video and uh, it's going to explain a little bit more. All right, isn't that exciting? Accelerate Ministry College School of Urban Missions. Listen, we have a great guest here today. His name is Dave Wallace. He's with the School of Urban Missions. And Dave, come on up. Um, I want us to uh, let him share just a little bit about what is going on in the School of Urban Missions. Yeah, let's get you a mic, man. Hold on just a second.
1: thank you Pastor Butler I'm here just to share real quick about SUM Bible College what is great about what we do we've been doing this for 20 years and and one thing that we launched was the cohorts across this nation and we have launched SUM India and several cohorts that's coming internationally overseas this is an opportunity for you to get a fully accredited Bible College education whether it be a BA degree or a master's degree. The BA degree is a BA in biblical studies, and you can specialize in church planning, biblical studies, youth ministry, global missions, pastoral ministry, whatever is on your heart. We also have a MA degree, and the MA degree is uh, biblical studies with languages or without languages. I don't know if anybody can guess what those languages are. They're not English and Spanish, they're Greek and Hebrew. So you have the opportunity to learn that or either organizational leadership. The Bible says to be hearers and doers of the word of God in James. And you have the opportunity in the same week to go to school and also to exercise that applied theology that you learn. But where does it take place? It takes place right here at Faith Assembly. So we want to just challenge you to come and get some information about uh, Accelerate, ministry college and just the things that god is doing we just want to uh, do our best to renew the church and to equip the saints thank you thanks dave appreciate it man
0: listen that falls right in line with what we're doing right here at faith assembly and even today equipping the saints for the work of ministry right and so i want you to turn to matthew chapter 28 and i'm going to read some further text this morning that sets the stage for our sermon this morning Matthew 28, I'm going to start reading verses 19, 18 and 19. And it says this, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. Lord, we are so thankful that today you brought us to this place. God, just show us in your word that we must be equipped as believers. And once we are equipped, God, we must go and obey your word. I pray today, God, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, and let this word penetrate our hearts and our lives. Not so that we can know something, but, God, that we can apply it to our lives and live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Here, here's a mediocre Christian. He, this is one that comes in on a Sunday morning and, and loves Pastor Laurel as he's singing the music and, and occasionally kind of gets into it, begins to tap the foot a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And if you're really good and you're really on beat, you begin to tap the pew in front of you. Everybody with me? Now, an excellent Christian uh, comes in at a different way. He, he's like Psalms 1, 104. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my life. I will enter his courts with praise. You see the difference? We had about four yells. That's good. Excellent. But there's a little difference in in what God wants us to do, what he calls us to. Uh, Here's a mediocre Christian. worships only when they feel like it. And you know what? Often criticizes those who may worship. But a true worshiper... Like John says, worships, what? In spirit and in truth. A big difference. Uh, A mediocre Christian prays, reads the Bible just enough to um, satisfy his own conscience and and not really enough to become more like Christ. But you know what the Word of God says? An excellent Christian prays without ceasing. The Word is, is living and active in their life and understands that the Word is living and active. And the mediocre Christian, they they attend church because of maybe expectation or a guilt that they have or, you know what, they become kind of comfortable with missing church or, you know, if it rains on a Sunday morning, they just kind of roll over and think, man, I I don't know if I can get across the creek this morning. Man, get you a four-wheel drive truck and just mash it to the floor and come to church. I don't know, just, just a thought, okay? Don't do that, please don't do that. You know what? Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the mediocre Christian goes through the motions of Christianity, but with no authentic commitment to Christ whatsoever. I love what Tim Hensel said in his book, When I Relax I Feel Guilty. Listen to what he says. He says this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You know what? That's mediocrity. It's just enough to get by in life. But you know what? At some point, every one of us in this room, we have to understand that it is more about being a disciple, about following him. It's more about being a convert. It's about fulfilling what God wants me to do in life. And he calls me to those things. And I've got to act upon that. Let me introduce you to, in the Bible, about, he's a man of excellence. You may remember him because I think he is famous for being thrown into the the lion's den. How many of you know who that is? That is Daniel, right? You know what? Daniel lived in an age where the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were really a a society that was... Man, they had their astrology and astronomy. And and they were really a highly technical group of people. And all of a sudden, God calls Daniel. He rises above... Everybody in the Babylonian culture and the Israelites, becomes. they notice him. He is a very smart and gifted man, but also the Lord is on his side. And let me read to you, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11, a description of who Daniel is. It says this, There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Verse 12 says, listen to this, Inasmuch as as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel. And Daniel was put in charge of the secular people of that day. What an incredible accomplishment in his life. In other words, he had a spirit of excellence. He approached everything that he did with excellence. And you know what we need to do? We don't need to be mediocre Christians. We need to be Christians who are excellent in everything that we do. We need to know that we need to become equipped, right? To fulfill what God wants each and every one of us to fulfill. I need to move my relationship with Christ to a have-to relationship to a want-to relationship. And there's a big difference in between. Now, I wanted, how are we going to do this? Well if you want to be fully equipped for service, you need to do a few things. We're going to talk about it this morning. Number one, we need to do this. We need to discover discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, let me give you just a very quick, brief definition. It is someone who has an ongoing personal relationship with a teacher whose life is a pattern to be imitated. The habits The speech, the personality, the behavior, reactions, the attitudes of disciplines are patterned after the teacher. And you'll even see this in Luke chapter 6. Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. They followed him. They acted like him. They wanted to be like he was, and he trained them in such a manner. Now we know what discipleship is, but what is the goal of the church? Well, simply the goal of the church, the goal of Faith Assembly of God, is to produce disciples. But it goes further than that. We want to produce disciples, and then those disciples who produce other disciples, who produce other disciples, who produce other disciples. You get the picture? That's what we have been called to in living our life out. So the mature believer, while following the example of Christ, is continually seeking to lead others along the same path. But in the church, here's what's happened. We are experiencing incredible frustration. And I don't mean necessarily faith assembly of God. What I do mean is the church in general. Why is that? Because those people who are claiming to be Christians, their belief is not matching up to their actions. Right? This is where it gets real quiet. And we've got to make sure that our belief is matching our actions in life. David Kinneman writes in his book, UnChristian. listen to this. In virtually every study we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-against Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. For instance... Based on a study released in 2007, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of so-called born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. And when asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit a pornographic website, to take something that they did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic to physically fight or abuse someone to have consumed enough alcohol. You get the picture? That's what they're saying. It's, it's alarming to know that we have strayed so far from what I believe is a biblical expectation of Christian behavior. We've we been intimidated into accepting a watered-down version of holiness, and that does not cut at what I think with Jesus Christ. Amen. It is unacceptable for converts to become either aborted believers or mediocre Christians. What is sad is that we can't keep birthing babies and leaving them on the doorstep for no one to take care of. We as a church have got to recognize there are new believers, there's disciples, and we need to take action. And that requires actions of two people. Those who are saved to say, you know what? I want to learn and grow in the Lord. And then those who are already saved, pouring into the lives of those who are already saved. That's what it's going to take. That is discipleship at its greatest. You see, we have often placed the emphasis of the Great Commission on going, which is good. And rightly so. That's what it's talking about. However... The Greek participles, going, baptizing, and teaching, are all subordinate to the action of the main verb in this passage. The command to, what? Make disciples. And the Gospels reveal that Jesus was very specific in his expectation of disciples. He commanded the disciples to make disciples. And so he expected a few things. And I think that one of the things that he expected is that you needed to be committed. You need to be committed in what you're doing. And I'm not talking about a a commitment to convenience. I'm not talking about a commitment to compliance or or conformity. I'm not talking about one of those half-hearted commitments that just says, you know what, I'm going to do that when I feel like it. I'm talking about that Christ lives in me. And I feel the power of that. And I know that. And then Luke says this. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me can't be my disciple. That speaks of commitment. I've got to be committed. We learn in groups. We serve in teams. We worship as a family. But listen to this. But we can only be discipled as individuals and want to be discipled. Next one is consistency. Man, I love that word consistency. Listen to John chapter 15, 7 and 8. It says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Consistency. You know, consistency is a very powerful word. Can you imagine if we planted commitment and consistency on a regular basis in marriages, man, marriages would change. Now you say, what do you mean about consistency? Let me give you an example. I remember first being married. I remember the first week of being married. The toilet seat's up. You need to put it down. How many guys are with me this morning? Okay, so you put it down. Did you know that in one month's time, you know what I was doing every time? I was putting the lid down, baby. And all of a sudden what happened is I began to be consistent in what I was doing, right? Moms, how about your kids at home? I mean, the boy is 14, 15 years of old. Make sure that you put deodorant on your body because you stink. And you have to tell him that over and over and over. Pick up your clothes. I mean, do I have to tell you every time to pick up your socks off the floor? Consistency. I mean, can you imagine if consistency came into your home and just blasted your home and commitment? Your kids were committed. It would change your world, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, commitment and consistency will change your world. You just have to be committed. Be consistent. And the last thing is character. John 13, 34-35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, here's this word again, disciples, if you love one another. You know what I I believe? I believe this, living life without discipleship is having this great, brand new boat at your house. Man, you look at it every day, it's it's nice and shiny, it looks great, but it never gets in the water. That's That's what it's like, giving your life to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be a Christian, but never doing anything about it. It's like having a boat, all that potential, but it's not going anywhere. That's why I have to what? Discover discipleship in my life. How do you do that at Faith Discipline? Let me just share a few quick things. Uh, Some of you ladies are involved in sisterhood on Tuesday mornings, right? Yeah. Uh, Did you know last Tuesday they had 80 ladies show up for uh, Tuesday morning uh, sisterhood? Being discipled. Wednesday night, they meet right here at 7 o'clock, right there in the back. They are discipled. In the things of the Lord. They break out into small groups. They go through studies and and different teachers teach. and, And it's an incredible thing. Men's fraternity for the guys. Yeah. On Tuesday morning. 5.30 in the morning. Come in your PJs. Just make sure you get a cup of coffee, right? I mean, just come however you want. Then it's Tuesday evenings at 6.30. Right here on the campus. In the collision center in the back. I mean, it's an incredible way for your life to be discipled. And grow, but you have to discover that you need to be discipled. The second thing, if you want to be fully equipped for service, you need to do this. You need to develop God's purpose for your life. And you know what? A lot of times when you think, you know what? I need to discover God's purpose for my life. One of the things that we think of is this is we think that God can't use me because of all the things that I have done in life, whether it be difficult things or just bad things that have happened, or maybe you're the cause of this thing. But let me tell you, you need to understand your past experiences if you want to find God's purpose for your life. And understand that no matter what you have done in life, God can use you. You need to know that. You need to know that this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I love this scripture. It says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know what? My favorite two words of that whole scripture is all things. Because no matter what you've done, the good things, the ordinary things, the bad things, God can still use your life. Now, I, this happened to me this week, but how many has ever lost your keys before? Did you know that your past often holds the key to unlock your future? And let me explain it like this. This week, I hardly ever lose my keys. And this week, I, I was leaving church and I couldn't remember where I'd put my keys. I'm like, I looked all over. I traced every step. I went everywhere and I just could not figure out. Where I left my keys, and that just bugs me to death. How many are with me? I mean, you lose something like that, it's on my mind the whole time. I've got to find those keys. And so I began to think about my day, and I remembered that I'd gone to a restaurant. And I thought, you know what, I'll call up there. So I called up there and said, hey, do you have any lost keys there? And they were like, uh, they didn't speak very good English, so I was a little worried at that point. They said, uh, no. I said, okay. Well, I got to think it a little later. I went through everything again. I thought, you know what? I better stop by and just see. I stopped by the restaurant. I looked to my right and said, hey, do you have any keys? And over there were my keys. And how many of you know when you find something like that, it is a huge relief. All of a sudden, I found it. It's good. How many of you have a whole bag of keys at your house that you have no idea what they're used for? But you collect them. You've got 30 keys in this bag. I've got one in my office. Just keys, truck keys, old, old car keys, just keys to open things and, and all those. It's just packed full of keys. Think about this. In the shelf of your life, in your heart, is a key that could unlock God's purpose for your life. That could be hidden away. You have no idea what it is, but in your life and your heart, you know what? It's going to open something. And you know what? My prayer this morning, as we discover discipleship, as we find God's purpose for our life, that we come across the key this morning that unlocks something in your life. And you want to be more than what you're being right now. And God uses what? Those past experiences to unleash and unlock something in your life. You know what? It happened to David. David, as a young boy, we know him as King David, as a young boy, he, he fought a lion. He was a shepherd boy watching these sheep, and all of a sudden a lion came up, and God helped him, what, take out a lion. And let me tell you something, there were no guns back in his day, just to let you know that. He did it barehanded. A bear one time came into his area, and guess what, he wiped it out, and he took it. But you know what, that experience helped him because one day, as you and I know, he was going to meet Goliath. And because of his past experiences, it helped him understand, you know what? I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, and I know that God is going to help me kill Goliath. And that's exactly what happened. He killed Goliath. But you know what? I I bet that when he was wrestling that lion, he didn't think, man, this is an incredible experience that I believe God's going to use someday. (laughs) Probably didn't happen that way, did it? But God did use it. And he did great things out of it. Next one is this. We need to find your spiritual gift. If you're going to develop God's purpose in your life, we need to find your spiritual gift. Just as past experiences are a part of your life, God has planted spiritual gifts in you. Turn to Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter 12. We're starting verse 6. and I'm going to give you some Gifts, spiritual gifts that God talks about in His Word. A spiritual gift is God-given, which enables a believer to effectively serve the body of Christ. That's what a spiritual gift is for. And you can go to 1 Corinthians and find some of those spiritual gifts. You can go to Ephesians that we read earlier today, and you find some of the ministry gifts. And 1 Corinthians have some of the revelation gifts. And I'm going to read some more gifts right now in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. And it says this. Now, I want you to think of it in this way. I, I want to kind of tell you a story, and, and let me set it up by saying this. I remember years and years ago, uh, one of the after a Sunday morning service or a Sunday night service, as a youth, we would all go to the local pizza hut and just hang out. How many ever did that after church? Maybe you said I'm doing that today. You're like, yeah, hurry, so I can get to the restaurant, please. And so we would go, and I remember, uh, and, and you, I'm going to give my age away here, but I remember wearing these white pants, um, a Miami Vice jacket, the leather tie. It was real skinny, right? And the hat, right? Not a cowboy hat. I'm just talking about a cool Don Johnson hat or something like that. And I remember going to Pizza Hut, and, and while we were there, uh. I remember serving pizza to others, and I remember serving pizza to myself. And what happened in that moment is I was serving pizza to myself. It slipped off that ladle and landed right on my white pants. And there was no coming back from that experience, right? Now, I want you to think about that because I want to tell you a story that maybe will hopefully help you identify maybe your gifts by, by, by sharing that happened to be. But let me tell you a hypothetical story that, that this happened. We'll just call her Sally. How's that? Now, Sally was at Pizza Hut and she was serving herself pizza. And here's what we need to know. Imagine the scene where seven friends are gathered around a table to eat pizza and the same thing happens to Sally. She's serving herself pizza, and all of a sudden, it falls face down into her lap. What a mess. Now, get this. How each person responds reveals their gifting. Friend one takes charge, reeling off orders, and organizing an efficient cleanup crew, saying this. I mean, they're just going, guess what? Friend one has the gift of leadership. Friend two immediately makes an offer. Sally I'll buy you another one. For that matter, another slice of pizza, whatever you get. I mean, grabs her hand and starts saying, you know what? She has the gift of giving. Friend three leans back and states calmly, I told you that was going to happen. I saw that coming from a mile away. She might have the gift of prophecy, right? Now, friend four, she has already burst into tears. She's crying, not because of the pizza or her clothes, but on Sally's behalf. And she runs over, grabs her hand, says, Sally, I'm so sorry. I cannot believe what's happened to you. She has the gift of mercy. Can you see it? Well, friend five, on the other hand, shocks everyone when she laughs. Then she drops a slice of pizza on her own lap. And soon everyone is laughing. And all of a sudden, the focus is taken off what? Um, Sally and all the focus is on her and she has the gift of encouragement after a minute friend six gets everyone's attention says hey hey listen up listen up I I think there is a better way to serve pizza I read recently and begins to state three ways to serve pizza differently they have the gift of teaching and then finally friend seven he has already completed the task without being asked she has cleaned everything up Seven is a born servant. Now now think for just a second. There was one event around the table, but seven different responses that took place. And all of a sudden, you begin to see yourself in, in the responses. Did you see yourself? Which one were you? Which one would you have done? And you begin to see that, you know what, God has gifted each and every one of us in a special way. And we have those gifts. Now, I know that this is not a foolproof test. Don't take this home and say, hey, I know exactly how to find out your gift today. Let me tell you a little story. All right? This, is, this needs to go a little deeper than that. But you get the idea. You get the picture that we have gifts. And the way that we respond sometimes is, is an indicator to what's going on in our life. You know what? In light of all that is before faith assembly, nothing is more important than the full potential of this congregation being released. This is no time for faith assembly, for each and every one of us to hold back. It's rather a time to push forward with vigor and enthusiasm for the cause of Christ. You know what? As I begin to look on and just reflect upon last year, 2011, that we launched three churches in one year. Man, good job, God, right? That is incredible. But in it, you begin to recognize and realize, you know what? We need people. And people have stepped up to the plate. They've they've gone to another church and said, you know what, I'm going to serve in this capacity and that capacity. And God has begun to plant different people at different campuses at Remount Road and Faith North and Monk's Corner. And God is doing incredible things. But we need more of that. But when people find and discover their, their discipleship process, when they understand and find God's purpose for their life and understand that their past experiences, what their spiritual gift has enabled them to become all that he's called them to be, I believe this, great things will happen. You see, God gifts in you equip you for your gift to the world. That's basically what's going on. Listen to 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully, administrating God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. What are your spiritual gifts? you know what? I'm going to give you just a website that you can go churchgrowth.org. If you want to find out some further information about your spiritual gift, they have like this assessment that you can take in about 10 or 15 minutes, and it'll spit out for you just your spiritual gift and tell you a little bit about your spiritual gift. But then we also have equip classes. February 12th, we're going to start our next round of equip classes so that you can be discipled, understand maybe your spiritual gift, but be educated in what God has called each and every one of us to. Now, if you want to be fully equipped, last point, very quickly, we need to do this. We need to demonstrate God's love. Did you understand that this is a process? We discover discipleship. We find God's purpose for our life. And once we do that, we begin to demonstrate God's love. It is William Ward has said this. The mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. But the superior teacher demonstrates. How many of us know in this room that Jesus was an incredible teacher, a demonstrator of what, all that was good? I, I remember being uh, just a couple of Christmases ago in Kmart. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Kmart, but the, I don't know if it's Walmart or Kmart has a blue light special, but I remember being in there, right? Have you been there for those specials? Man, they're amazing. And I went in there one time, and I heard this guy in the overhead. Uh, he was saying, you know what? If you will come to this particular section, I'm going to give a knife demonstration. And if you just show up, it's free. Well, my first thought is that there is nothing free in life. But I thought, man, if I go, if he's going to give me a knife, and I just have to sit through about 15 minutes of things, I'm going to be there. So I went, and I listened. He said, and at the beginning of his session, he says, and he shows you all these things these knives can do. He says, if you stayed at the end, and if you guess how many... Um, teachings and demonstrations that I have given, I'll give you a free knife if you can get whoever's the closest is. So I thought, well, I'm in baby. That is me. I'm going to get that number. So luckily I was the last person to to throw out. He said, now after going through the demonstration, he says, how many And people would say, I think you've done 250 demonstrations. And someone else said, well, I think you've done 400 demonstrations. And I was the last one. So I thought, you know what, if I just go one more than the person who had the greatest number, I mean, I felt like I was on the prices right, right there in Kmart. And so I just kind of said a couple more than the last person. And guess what? I won two knives. I went to my wife and I said, you'll never guess what I won. I was proud of those knives. I walked up there her and said, right here, this is for your kitchen. <laughs> Still use those knives today, right? Demonstrating. A superior teacher demonstrates. Uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, 14. Revelation chapter 3. We know them as the seven churches in Revelation. But I want to give you some insight to the church in Laodicea. I love this passage of Scripture. I believe it's probably one of the most misrepresented Scriptures in the Bible. I've heard a ton of sermons on this Scripture, but I think there is a deeper meaning to what's going on. And let me read this to you real quick. And and, uh, I'm going to skip down just a little bit, and I'm going to read... In verse 14 and 16. It says this. These are the words of the amen and faithful and true witnesses. The ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Mm. And I don't know if you heard this, but in Laodicea, it is located in what we call the Lycus River Valley in southwest Turkey. It's part of the Roman Empire there. And a key to understanding the scripture is to understand the geographical context in which he was saying and communicating in Revelation. Now, without the context of Laodicea, we begin to think this, that we've heard sermons on this. I want you to be hot. For the Lord. I want you to be on fire for God. I want you to have a passion for God, right? And then the flip side of that, they would say, listen, you, you, you need to be hot or cold. That means apathetic, not following the Lord. That You don't need to be close to the Lord, that's just, just cold, but be one or the other. But that doesn't line up with Scripture. Why? Because God does not wish that none should perish, but everybody come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not the hot, passionate for Christ, cold, I'm I'm not going to live for him. I think there's something more to it. Now listen to this. Approximately 12 miles east of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. It's where Paul preached his sermons in Colossians. And over there to, in the east, we know this, that the city of Colossus was was well known for its refreshing cold waters because there was Mount Cadmus nearby that when the snow melted, it would run down and it would run right into Colossae and it would be waters. And those waters were valued for its purity and cooling abilities and drew many visitors and dignitaries into the region. Reason. And then all of a sudden, if you look north, you would see Erpolis. It was a city that was about seven miles north of Laodicea, and it was known for its hot springs. And these springs, people would come from everywhere and sit in the hot springs, and they would uh, feel like that their body was being healed, that it would cure elements and visitors, and all of them re- relocated, so they could specifically come to that region to feel those hot springs. And there, between Colossus and Aeropolis, sat Laodicea where the streams of the cold water and the hot water would meet, mixing together, and because it was so mineral-rich, it would become lukewarm. And Laodicea was a city that its, its water was, had aqueducts above the city. Some of it was down below in clay pipes. But when they got the water, guess what? It was just lukewarm. So what is Jesus? What is he communicating here when he's saying, hey, I need you to be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. I believe there's a greater meaning. I think what he was saying in context to Laodicea is this. I wish you were cold like the water in Colossae where you could refresh and encourage people wherever you go and wherever you are. I wish you that you were hot. I wish that you would bring healing to people, restoration to people, comfort to people who are suffering in life. But here's what I don't want you to be. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Now that's a totally different picture because God has called each and every one of us what to be cold and hot, right? To be refreshing to people, to be healing to people, to bring comfort to people. Why? We need to demonstrate who God has made us to be. All of a sudden, we begin to understand that it was Jesus himself who did that exact same thing. Jesus lived as a common man among common men. He lived where they lived, where the fishermen, the tax collectors, the shepherds, the street vendors. He loved them all. The outcasts of every kind, the untouchables, the lepers, the lunatics, the Samaritans, street people, and women taken in adultery. He loved the kids, he loved the crowds, he loved the celebrations and the solitude, the miracles and the quiet meals with old friends. He loved the loveless. He washed the feet of even those who were broken and dirty. Do you remember with me in John chapter 13 where he takes the night before he was to die, he takes his 12 disciples, he takes them into a room and he begins to wash their feet. And he begins to wash them. And all of a sudden, in John chapter 13, he says this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, he wanted him to demonstrate the love to a whole broken world. And that's what he's called each and every one of us in this room to do, is demonstrate his love. And I need to do that today. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Listen, God has called every one of us in this room to discover discipleship. To be committed, to have consistency, to have, grow character as we walk with Him. He's called us to find God's purpose in our life. And we do that from learning from our past experiences. We do that from understanding our spiritual gift. And once we know and understand that, guess what? We begin to demonstrate what God has done for each and every one of us. You may be here today, and you know what? You need to discover, and you need to find God. And even through this sermon, you realize, you know what? You may fall into the mediocre Christian, or even fall even worse than that. It's like you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ in your life. And I'm here today to tell you and let you know, you know what? You can make a commitment to Jesus Christ today. He will come into your life. He will begin to help you. He will begin to mold you. He will begin to make you. And it is Jesus Christ who will do incredible things in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.